Welcome to Dangerous Christianity with Dr. Christopher Rodkey, where we explore new ways of being Christian that go against the grain, stands up against the church when it's evil, speaks truth to power, and reclaims the Bible as a radical message of hope, liberation, and justice. Dr. Rodkey is pastor of St. Paul's United Church of Christ in Dallastown, Pennsylvania, and leads the sacred profane community, a post-faith gathering for those seeking to nurture a literate and misfit geeky, sometimes sneaky, as well as a queer-affirming and beer-affirming spirituality. All information mentioned throughout the program is listed in the show notes. And now, please welcome Dr. Christopher Rodney. There are three readings for this sermon. The first is Genesis 11, one through nine. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have, they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building a city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The second reading is from John, the third chapter, verses three, 5 through 8. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. The third reading is from the second chapter of Acts, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every na nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in their own language, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, 
what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Here ends the reading. Pentecost is not a holiday that was all that important in my evangelical church upbringing. And the Holy Spirit is something rarely discussed in mainline churches, maybe even to say most Western churches. I think the reason why we don't talk about the Holy Spirit is because it is, in fact, the feminine aspect of God, which might sound like something controversial to some today, but the idea that the Holy Spirit is feminine is a concept that has been pretty straightforward through a long history of the church. In fact, if you look at the history of Christian art, it's very obvious that this was something that has been around for a while. The other reasons why I think Christians don't focus on Pentecost too much is because the theological implications of the idea of Pentecost and the coming down of the Holy Spirit are not attractive to most religious people. The Holy Spirit is feminine. The Holy Spirit is wild. The Holy Spirit changes. The Holy Spirit blows where it so chooses, which is to say the Holy Spirit is not easily defined. It is not easily known. The moment you can capture it with words or ideas, it has already become something else. The Holy Spirit emphasizes that words and images of God are never adequate. And the Holy Spirit points to those set on using words and images as certain concepts attract, attached to God to reveal that we often use words and images as idols. The Holy Spirit is often represented in scripture and in the history of Christian art by a bird, usually a dove. Birds have patterns, but in the moment, they're unpredictable in their movements. Birds dance to their own music. Birds appear to be talking to us in their sounds, but it takes a trained ear to really decode and a trained ear to predict what the sounds might be and where they are from where they are coming. The dove is a symbol of peace, which is something everyone says they want, but in the end are not willing to do the things necessary for it to happen. The Holy Spirit seems to contradict things, and the Holy Spirit is seen as is seen as uncontradictable. A few months ago, I preached on a Sunday about the story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch and the eunuch being baptized by the Apostle Philip. Every time I studied that story, I noticed something different. And this time, what really struck me is that the Holy Spirit in this story intentionally places the apostles of Jesus in the early church in front of someone whom the scripture says very clearly should not be accepted as part of the religious assembly. And along the side of the road, Philip baptizes the eunuch. Philip asked him no questions, no statement of faith. The eunuch, though, had questions about scripture. One of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit, it would seem, is to contradict the things from the past, even scripture, maybe especially scripture. The idea of the Holy Spirit is an ex as an expression of God does not jive with those who want a faith or a religion where God is an absolutely static and unmoving and strict and authoritarian and totalizing, totalitarian God whose primary image is of a warrior chief. The idea of the Holy Spirit is the opposite of this. The Holy Spirit is described as a dove, a symbol of peace. As we heard in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes down upon all flesh, not just some, but all. The rich, the poor, the sick, the nice, and the not so nice, all the same. The Holy Spirit is rowdy. If you know your Pennsylvania Dutch, 
maybe you'd say the Holy Spirit is rushy or shushlik. The Holy Spirit reverses the story of the Tower of Babel. In that story from Genesis, as I just read, the God of rules, the way we are told, seems threatened by the humanity's power in building such a feat of architecture. And God strikes it down. And then the people are confused when they are given different languages. Now, growing up, I was always taught that the story of the Tower of Babel was about the origin of human language, but it's about so much more than that. It's a story that indicates that humans were a little closer to God before that moment. The story of the entire book of Genesis is, on the whole, the story of humans falling away from God. And after the Tower of Babel, humanity has not been knocked down another step from where we were with God before. Maybe the collapse of the Tower of Babel was heard by ancient peoples as God saving them from themselves. Because if they cause more trouble in uh there would be something more catastrophic. And by God intervening, God is pulling the plug on what might be another starting over point, as with the flood a few chapters before. I think there's a lot of cool stuff to talk about the story of Tower of Babel, especially as it relates to African creation mythologies. But here's why the Tower of Babel is germane to Pentecost. If the Tower of Babel indicated the last time that humanity had that particular higher relationship or ability to approach God. Then God confused them all by giving them languages. Then the story of Pentecost could be seen as the Holy Spirit undoing and untangling this action of the Tower of Babel. I'll say it again. If the Tower of Babel indicated the last time that all of humanity had this particular higher relationship or ability to approach God as opposed to our current state, and then God confused them all by giving them languages so they could not speak to each other, then the story of Pentecost could be seen as the Holy Spirit undoing and untangling the mythology, the story of the Tower of Babel, which is to say... Pentecost is a restoration of something that has been lost. The things that once divide us are no longer really divisions. Language was seen as one of the foundations of race in the ancient world. People knew that languages of the Middle East had similar words and similar ways of speaking, but the difference of language was an important way of articulating that different tribes of people had different histories. So the, on the day of Pentecost, where languages are diversified and emphasized is not an act of correcting the Tower of Babel, but it is reinventing its meaning. That the very things that caused division and misunderstanding and represented further separation between human beings and God are not necessarily reversed, but these divisions no longer are no longer seen as contradictory, but complementary. The only way the world could know the good news is if the languages were employed to bring people together and to meet people where they are at and to not assume from the outset that my language is superior to yours. The idea of human division now being transformed into a unifying force the reason why is the reason why Acts 2 has all these long names of people where, where they were from. And it was... Everyone that that culture knew, pretty much everyone that the culture knew. These divisions are still there. Human diversity is still there. But in the Holy Spirit, we can find unity rather than division. If language is what prevented people 
from building a tower to reach God in Genesis 11, language is now understood as the gift to build the kingdom of God, which is not with towers or buildings, but with ourselves, with others, with language, with our words, and to build the church. That's why we say Pentecost is the birthday of the church. It's hard to think of the church as anything but of but a building or an organization for many of us, or an assembly of people at any given time. But on the day of Pentecost, the church was the entire world. The Spirit came down on all people, not just the ones who were speaking in tongues and creating a ruckus. But there was a group of people set aside who were cognizant of what was going on. It didn't make sense to those on the outside, even if they had just received the Holy Spirit. And from there launches the rest of the story of the books of Act, book of Acts, which details the beginning of the church. The way I read this story is that the entire world and its people now have holiness. Other people aren't evil. That's to be made clear here. Other civilizations are not to be understood as evil because the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is with them. But that's not to say that the dictator of North Korea is doing holy things because the Holy Spirit is in North Korea and with the people there. The Holy Spirit just might not be recognized where it's at. The practices of grace and forgiveness and loving people when it's difficult might not always be there. Christians in North Korea, the handful of them there, might look at us and say the same thing. But the people who are there are suffering, and God is always with the suffering, unquestionably with the suffering. And the Holy Spirit just hasn't blown so freely there, or she is being held back. So too, we need to open a window and let the breeze in, to let the spirit of grace and forgiveness and loving people when it's difficult flow throughout the church and the pews and in the lives of all of us gathered today. That means accepting change. It means being open to new things. It means learning to respect traditions as traditions. It means loving people that are hard to love sometimes. Which is to say, we in the church always have more to do when it comes to evoking the Holy Spirit. And opening our vulnerability to the Holy Spirit is often frightening to many people especially many Christians, because the Holy Spirit is feminine. The Holy Spirit is wild. The Holy Spirit changes. The Holy Spirit blows where it so chooses. And like a bird flying in patterns, the, mo the movements are unpredictable and fleeting and seemingly dancing to her own song. That's why in many traditions, confirmation is practiced on this day of Pentecost. Today, all of you who are being confirmed, you are being, you now become members of the church. You are now on equal standing with all of the adults in the church as an, as a functioning organization. This building of the church is yours in as much as it is any other church members. This ministry is yours. You have the power to make change. You have the power to challenge us and to lead us. You also have the power to just be young and give the church joy to joy watching you spread your wings and doing all sorts of things that you all are doing already in your jobs and in your school and in your sports and other activities and in the church and in the community. Each of you are doing exceptional things already. All of you have been meeting with me for about a year and a half, learning about the basic ideas of the Christian faith, what it means when we practice baptism, what it means when we practice communion, what the church is and what the church is not. 
the tradition of the German Reformed tradition is that the day of confirmation is the day the congregation confirms your baptism, more or less saying your baptism is completed in this act of confirmation. And I hope that's meaningful to you. And if it is meaningful to you, that your day of baptism, whether you remember it or not, is a day to which you can return through this experience, especially if you were baptized as a child, consider all of the people who might have been there in your family on that day witnessing that act, who are no longer with us anymore. And that might not be so meaningful to you. And I hope that you see this day of confirmation as a rite of passage that begins a more mature journey of faith rather than a graduation ceremony. I always think of confirmation and, and our faith journey as a spiraling journey that is always changing, always challenging, always provoking, always searching to discover God in entirely new places, new experiences, and in new people. The more different the experience is, the more power you have to call out and invoke the Holy Spirit with others. Because the Holy Spirit is feminine. The Holy Spirit is wild. The Holy Spirit changes. The Holy Spirit blows where it so chooses. And like a bird flying in patterns, the movements of the Holy Spirit are unpredictable, fleeting and seemingly dancing to her own song. And always like the day Jesus was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, arise from this place of worship where you're being confirmed today and lead us. The dove which, which descended on Jesus at his baptism Call for it to lead us. Take up the call of Pentecost. Speak with tongues of fire. Witness to the power of a higher sense of justice that must be invoked and practiced in this world. Challenge us and others to love more. Interrupt us to speak the truth. Like the wind on the day of Pentecost, make loud noises. Make new songs. Make new music. Like the first Pentecost, shake up the place so much that people on the outside think you're crazy because being bold in your faith, especially when it means prioritizing the least of this world, is foolish. And that is the call of every one of us, those of you being confirmed today and those of you who have never been confirmed and those of you who have been in this church for many years and those of you witnessing this for the first time. That is the call that God has of every one of us, said in the words of St. Paul, to take on the foolishness of the cross. Thank you for listening to Dangerous Christianity. For more information about how to get involved in the movement, how to contact Dr. Christopher Rodkey, or where to find information regarding his preaching itinerary, publications, or how to make a contribution to his ministry, please refer to the listed show notes. Dr. Rodkey, again, would like to thank all of his listeners for continuously supporting and tuning into his work and message. Thank you.